Every American is acutely aware of the issues surrounding our health care system. We know miracles can happen, but we find ourselves bombarded by conflicting information and are uncertain of what and whom we can trust. We have some of the best medical care in the world for those who can afford it. Incredible new drugs that change people's lives but can be very costly. Many of the best doctors the world has ever seen, but not all are perfect. That's why Dr. Steve Feldman created the show, Getting Better Health Care, to help walk us through the labyrinth, helping us understand how to take better care of ourselves and to better understand the challenges, issues, controversies, and complexities of our health care system as it exists and as it could be. For better health care and a better health care system, listen to the doctor. Now, here's Steve. Welcome to another episode of Getting Better Healthcare on webtalkradio.net. I'm your host, Dr. Steve Feldman, founder of the drscore.com website. On today's show, we revisit the implications of the recent healthcare reform legislation that has passed Congress. We spoke last week with noted legal authority, Professor Mark Hall, about his perspectives on the legislation. Today, we're going to look at that legislation from a completely different perspective, that of the insurer. You know, some people like to badmouth insurers saying that these companies are leeches on our healthcare system, that they suck up money and provide no valuable benefits. On the other hand, another way to look at the insurer is that they're actually helping people pay for access to good medical care. They review to make sure treatment is appropriate from perhaps one perspective. They negotiate on behalf of patients to keep the cost of medical care down, to negotiate lower charges from doctors and hospitals. There's different perspectives on the role of insurers. Well, today we're going to find out what the insurers think of the health care reform legislation. Today speaking with us, we have Barbara Morales. She's Vice President of Health Policy at Blue Cross Blue Shield. She previously served as a Deputy Commissioner of the North Carolina Department of Insurance. So she's seen insurance issues from both the consumer perspective and from the insurer's side. While at the Department of Insurance, she provided leadership on insurance and managed care principles on policy, strategies, and overall operations of her agency. With Blue Cross Blue Shield, she leads initiatives in healthcare reform, and she helps shape company policies. She has a Master's of Healthcare Administration from the University of North Carolina. Barbara, welcome to our show. Well, let's get right to the heart of the matter. Um, Healthcare reform legislation has passed Congress. What, What are your general perceptions of it? Well, the health reform legislation is its historic, and it's certainly a step in the right direction. Some people may not realize this, but uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Carolina has been supportive of health reform from the start. What we supported and still re- uh, support is reform that covers everyone, improves quality of care, and improves affordability. Our new health reform law certainly improves access to coverage to many millions of Americans who don't have access today, and it will help many by providing financial assistance with the cost of coverage. At Blue Cross, we're committed to transforming the way healthcare is delivered and financed, and we do have some concerns that the legislation didn't take strong enough steps to address the cost of care, though. Uh, that's that's wonderful to hear. You know, I think when people hear control costs and they hear government subsidies that that controls costs, that doesn't really control costs. 
because that doesn't change what hospitals are charging or what drug companies are charging. As the insurer, you're really on the patient side trying to get those real costs under control. That's exactly correct, Steve. That, that's something I think that, that people don't recognize. They, they hear that insurance companies are responsible for the high cost of care when really they're just, in a way, passing that high cost of care through the system. And if anything, as I understand it, if an individual tried to negotiate with a hospital to get a lower rate, well, they wouldn't have a whole lot of leverage, whereas when hundreds of thousands of people are all insured by a single insurer, that insurer probably has considerable leverage for keeping down the true costs of care. Absolutely. That is a a value and a service that insurers bring to policyholders that many probably don't even realize. And if they do, they don't stop and think about it. But when you get your explanation of benefits, for example, and you see what the charge, the bill charge was and what your responsibility is, or the allowed charge, that really shows that that value that we bring just through that one simple act of having a contracted network. Sometimes I think it gets to be on the edge where, boy, if you said, well, look, this hospital isn't, is charging just so much, we'll just go to another hospital. I mean, that makes perfect sense. It's probably good for patients, and yet they might be thinking, well, hey, I can't go to the hospital I wanted to go to anymore. I guess there's a balance there. If the patient isn't personally responsible for helping keep the costs of care down, if they're abdicating that responsibility to somebody to help them do it, they they may not have the full range of options that they might have liked to have had. That's certainly true. Well, let's go back to the health care reform legislation. It's our guest last week talked about how our crisis is composed of two parts, the, 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 that so many people aren't covered and the high cost of care. And, and he told us that the legislation was really great at helping get more people covered. But I think echoing what you're saying, this legislation hasn't done much, if anything, to actually keep costs down. That's correct. Um, It it hasn't. And in getting people covered, uh, which we think is is wonderful, we're very pleased that it will uh, expand people's access to coverage. But in some of the other provisions that relate to insurance, um, the net result, we think, can put some pressure on insurance premiums. Uh, To go to – because – more people covered, higher cost. And um, if you have to cover pre-existing conditions, higher cost. Well, specifically in the bill, what are the specific benefits? In general, it helps us cover more people. But specifically, how do, how do you see it doing that? Okay. Well, and, and there, are, there are many positives in the bill, um, undeniably, for consumers. First, it's important for people to realize that most of the big changes – don't go into effect until 2014. And I'm going to issue a disclaimer now as I'm talking about a couple provisions of the bill um, that some of them will differ for people who are covered under a a large employer plan. And large employer means um, mostly under this bill employers with over 100 employees. 
Some of the provisions will also differ for people who are covered in a plan that by a plan that existed before this bill became law. So I, I just need to issue that disclaimer. But, sure, thank you. Um, in 2010, there will be some limited but very important to some consumers uh, provisions that go into effect. Plans sold uh, or renewed after September 23rd of this year will see the elimination of lifetime maximums and uh, elimination of cost-sharing requirements on preventative services. New requirements for children will apply. Coverage will no longer be able to be restricted for pre-existing medical conditions for children under age 19, and children will be able to be covered under, um, as dependents under their parents' policies until they reach age 26, even if they're not full-time students. This last one is something that has been available to Blue Cross uh, North Carolina customers for several years now. Seniors uh, will benefit by receiving rebates to help begin to fill in the donut hole in their drug coverage. And certain small employers will be able, uh, able to get tax credits to help pay for employee health insurance. 2014 is the year that the more dramatic changes kick in. The ones with the broadest impact would include the requirement that everyone have health insurance, minimum benefit requirements that will result in richer benefits than some people have today, eliminating health considerations from the equation uh, in setting premiums, limiting the impact that a person's age can have on setting premiums, no more waiting periods for pre-existing medical conditions for anyone, and that's the year that federal premium subsidies will be available to people based on their income using a sliding scale basis, and more people will be eligible for Medicaid. So that's a lot of moving parts. The net effect will mean that some people will be better off in terms of the coverage, what, you know, what having coverage, what is covered for them, and some people will be better off in terms of what they pay for the coverage. But we believe, as I said before, that the net effect of uh, these things, and, and really the insurance reforms, and by that I mean the changes to how premium rates are set and eliminating that waiting period on pre-existing uh, medical conditions, will put upward pressure on insurance premiums beyond the normal medical inflation that would occur regardless of reform. Uh, Barbara, uh, when, primarily, when you I just want to finish, yeah, sure. primarily that would happen in the small employer market and for people who buy coverage on their own. Okay. Um, when we talk about the net effects, I think some people worry about unintended consequences. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and sometimes they go in different directions. I understand um, Massachusetts, when, when it mandated coverage, people were, were thinking that, in, that small employers are, would reduce the amount of insurance they pay for, would move workers to, um, to, you know, to a state plan. But the opposite happened. And um, do you have a sense that there, there could be unintended consequences, good or bad, from the um, legislation? Yeah, again, our, our, our biggest concern is that the un unintended consequence will be, and again, this would be for new policies sold after the reform law went into effect, because those are the ones that will be subject to these new rating laws. But think about uh, this set of circumstances. 
health conditions won't be able to be factored into the premium charged. The discounts given to younger people to reflect the fact that their claims are usually much lower will be much more limited than it is today. So younger and generally healthier people will pay more than they would uh, previously when they buy a new policy. Mm -hmm. No one can be turned down for coverage regardless of their health. Coverage for pre-existing medical conditions must be provided with no waiting period. And the penalty for not having insurance will be much less than most people would actually have to pay in premiums, even if they were eligible for the premium subsidy. So we believe all of that will come together in a way that will result in young, some young healthy people deciding to stay out of the market, maybe even leaving the market, the insurance pool. And then at the same time, others will know that they can buy insurance only when they expect to need care because they won't have any waiting period. Yeah, that's uh, the big problem, isn't it? So this will make that new coverage more expensive than it is today, all other things equal. I guess the, one of the problems with today's system is that people who think they're healthy and not going to have a problem tend to opt out. Hopefully, under the new plan, while there may be some incentive for that, it'll be less than it is now. So what do you think could have been better? I, I understand you think that this is a great first step or a good first step. What further improvements are needed? So related to what I just discussed in terms of what will cause this, this upward pressure on premiums, the the primary thing that could have been better was strengthening that so-called individual mandate, the requirement to have insurance. The part that nobody if likes. It were more expensive to not have coverage, uh, to, to pay a penalty when you're discovered to not have coverage, or at least as expensive as it is to purchase insurance, you'd have a lot more incentive to buy the coverage in the, in the first place. Yeah. So a stronger, uh, more enforceable insurance mandate, and then, of course, provisions that would have helped to contain the, the growth in medical costs. So the bill does, it does include a, a number of pilot, pilots to test different types of provider reimbursement in the Medicare market, but it is still only on a pilot basis, and in most cases it doesn't provide for automatically becoming uh, the permanent and uh, standard way of, pro of paying providers. So it's something that's going to take a number of years to test, and there's no guarantee that those successful pilots will become the standard way of paying providers. When I think of provisions to contain costs, I think, well, we pay drug companies less, we pay uh, doctors less, uh, maybe... I have seen people say, well, we'll establish some minimum amount that the insurers must pay out in benefits out of the total amount of money they, they bring in. Uh, I could see that there would be major objections from any any of these, um, any strong effort to control costs mandated by the government uh, would seem like it would engender a lot of uh, anger from one group or another. Yeah, so I mean, if there are provisions that will put limitations on on what people who are are, are getting through their coverage, 
the pe- people don't like that. And when there's provisions that get at uh, the way healthcare providers are paid, let's put it this way, uh, it certainly would require it requires them to make changes to their their status quo. Uh, we are very much uh, focused on trying to collaborate with healthcare providers, find ways to uh, pay them for based on quality outcomes rather than the the number of services they provide. But that's generally not where our healthcare delivery system is today. When you so say we, we want that to collab- we've got to work toward. When you say we want to collaborate, you're saying that insurers want to collaborate with healthcare providers to have more efficient delivery of care. Uh, yes, I am, and in Blue Cross in particular, certainly we recognize that that that's the way to begin to start to bend that cost curve down. Uh, Steve, you mentioned earlier uh, the fact that health insurance premiums are driven directly by health care costs, and, and that is something that I think people often don't recognize. Uh, increased utilization of health care uh, also, of course, impacts premiums, and, and these are influenced by factors like hospitals and doctors being forced to charge the private market more because Medicare and Medicaid, the government programs, underpay them for services. That's known as cost shifting. Uh, Higher-priced uh, diagnostic technology, new treatments, pharmaceuticals often are overutilized. Uh, you pointed out when there are programs to try to control that utilization. Sometimes that's not a popular thing, but nonetheless, it, it needs to be figured out in some, some form or fashion. And if we can collaborate with providers, to, uh, we're hopeful that there will be ways to begin to get at those, those kind of problems. Our population is aging. Obesity is a, a growing problem. Chronic illness is a, a greater burden, and that also drives medical costs. Uh, our our healthcare system is not very coordinated in terms of uh, delivery of care. Um, certainly not and that. That's another that's area where there's opportunities for insurers to work with, collaborate with healthcare providers. If we pay them on a basis that rewards and recognizes collaboration of care, then that can give them incentives to make those changes. Defensive medicine is also something that uh, has an impact on cost. Certainly, we've, we've heard that from the provider community. I, I'm a practicing dermatologist, and you would think that the little tiny little surgeries and, you know, skin rashes that I, that I treat wouldn't be a big issue, um, not compared to putting people in intensive care units for prolonged periods of time or major heart surgeries, kidney failure, things like that. On the other hand, um, we've started to become users of new biologic treatments for patients who have um, immune diseases, uh, for example, psoriasis. And some of these drugs could cost twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 a year. Uh-huh. And um, if the insurer is paying for the drug, then the patients have little incentive to think much about about those costs. Um, maybe in, under our current system, they're right not to. Maybe they should be just thinking, I just want the best possible care. And, you know, I have a contract that says that someone will help me pay for that care. But sometimes perhaps the 
there might be less expensive options or, or the benefit of a $20,000 drug might be only a marginal benefit over something much, much less costly. Um, is, there, is there a means that insurers can reasonably encourage patients to be personally involved in, in, the, in the financial decisions um, regarding their health care? Yes, um, health savings accounts are an example of, uh, or health savings accounts coupled with high deductible health plans are an example of uh, a means of giving um, consumers more of a uh, reason to be engaged in their health care and their health care spending decisions. Um, plans like the uh, that don't have the high deductible with a savings account do, as you point out, shield consumers from the true cost of care. And these HSAs and high deductible plans help to pull back the curtain to allow people and and encourage people to be making more informed decisions about their care. They have these tax-advantaged accounts that they use to pay for a, a fair, sizable portion of their care before the insurance um, coverage kicks in. Um, so that's something that we, we believe is one option. It's not a magic bullet for every consumer, and it's not a magic bullet that lowers costs, but it's one tool of getting consumers engaged. Now, the health care reform law does allow for continued use of high-deductible health plans and HSAs and actually includes some provisions um, that will help to increase some transparency or, or provide some transparency in pricing and cost information, um, not specific to high-deductible plans, but, but could help. Because it is important for consumers to be able to have information then to help them make some wise shopping choices, whether they're covered under a high-deductible health plan or just a regular health plan. You're listening to Getting Better Healthcare on webtalkradio.net. I'm Dr. Steve Feldman. We're talking today with Barbara Morales from Blue Cross Blue Shield. My son needed a MRI. Now, I say needed. I'm not really sure he needed it, but the doctor offered it as an option. And, of course, we took the option. But, you know, we didn't call around to see who would give us that MRI for a lower price. Um, if we had been buying a... I don't know, a $50 MP3 player we would have shopped around, but for this $5,000 test, we just went to the place the doctor recommended. Fortunately, you know, our insurer probably has done some of that shopping around for us and has negotiated a lower rate on that MRI. That, that as we were discussing earlier, is, is, is all hidden uh, to the public. Yes, and, and when it comes to shopping around, uh, again, if there is a... If there's a network associating with your health, associated with your health plan, then there is a certain amount of uh, discount that your insurer has has already provided for. But there there are price differences between network providers, as I'm sure you know. Um, so the more information that people have, uh, and the more incentive people have to spend wisely, then then we believe that we will see some engaged, more engagement from consumers making some of these choices. And it's not just choosing your provider, but also um, 
asking questions from uh, of your doctor or whoever is providing treatment. Find out what the alternatives are. What's the expected benefits of whatever it is that they're uh, talking about providing to you in terms of services so that the patient is really engaged in their care decisions. Yes. They may decide that they absolutely want to proceed with whatever the doctor first suggested, or they may just determine that something else is, is really what they'd like to try first. Well, my general impression is that my insured patients want to know what I think is the best therapy, and they don't, as long as somebody else is paying for it, the actual cost doesn't, it seems to be of little interest to them, and and perhaps rightly so. And that's why I'm such a big believer that these health savings account plans where patients, where the insurer covers catastrophic losses, but patients have an incentive to, um, to, to, to pay attention to the cost of care is a great system. When you, when you said earlier that the legislation eliminates some of the cost sharing on preventive services, I was like, ooh, I don't know if we want to really reduce cost sharing. But but I'm pleased to hear you say that the, the reform legislation encourages uh, cost-sharing and HSA in, in other aspects of, of the uh, insurance coverage. Well, it, it, if I said encouraged, that I may be misspoke. It doesn't encourage, but it does allow for them. That so for that, that's an option that will continue to be there, and that's, we think that that's important. Again, we... we Recognize that a high deductible HSA plan may not be for everyone, but for some people, it uh, it is the right thing. Now, so much of the cost of medical care ends up being spent in the very last year of life. Much of the care being spent providing little little benefit in terms of quality of life or even length of life. Is is there an answer to to uh, to those high costs? Hmm. Boy, there's an easy question. <laughs> we, we, we need to do a better job of taking care of ourselves at every stage of life. Uh, we're taught when we're children that we should eat right, get plenty of rest, get regular exercise, and we should be practicing those behaviors throughout our lives. And if we did, over our overall health care costs would be less. As a health system, we haven't done a very good job of coordinating care and that results in duplicate and sometimes even unnecessary services. Understanding and, and feeling able to choose between care options, as I mentioned before, is important, again, at every stage of life. So I, I think all of those things apply at end of care, uh, I'm sorry, end of life, uh, as they do throughout. Now, we've talked about how at least from the insurer's perspective, the insurance company is all about helping patients pay for access to great medical care. Some some listeners have told me they don't see things that way, that that, that they, they look and they see insurers that have um, denied somebody coverage for some me- medication or some procedure. I certainly hear it from my physician colleagues. I think sometimes they don't notice that day in and day out they send bills to the insurance company, they get paid. They just don't notice that. But then the one claim that gets rejected or the, or the one prescription that doesn't get covered uh, really stands out in their mind. Is this a common problem that, that people aren't being covered for some services? Well, as, as you stated, uh, 
large, large uh, majority of claims are paid. I don't have any statistics at my fingertips to give you on that, but but by and large, most claims are paid. Uh, but sometimes coverage is denied for a specific service. Sometimes that uh, denial is because the contract, the policy, simply doesn't cover that service, or there may be certain conditions under which it is not covered. So um, insurance policies are very complex legal documents, and uh, it's it is uh, important for customers to understand their rights and their responsibilities under those contracts. I am the biggest believer that patients need to be responsible for understanding as much as they can about their health care and their health care coverage. Well, in these final moments, Barbara, thank you so much for your time. Are there any specific suggestions you have for our listeners about improving their health or their health care? Well, do the things that we know they should be doing. They know they should be doing. Eat right, exercise, get plenty of rest, uh, see your doctor for preventive care, ask questions, as I said before, about uh, your treatment or your health. Know your rights and your responsibilities. Um, If you're without insurance, there are resources that you can check out that will uh, are available to help you and your family access care when you need it. For health education and preventive care, uh, there are county health departments that are great resources. Uh, Many communities in North Carolina feature community health centers and free clinics, which provide no-cost or low-cost care, depending on the person or the family's income. Um, In large urban areas like Charlotte, there are many such centers and clinics. For example, Mecklenburg County has more than a dozen. The Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Carolina Foundation has invested over $22 million to support these types of free clinics in North Carolina, which provide necessary care to the uninsured of our state. Barbara, I want to thank you for being on our show, but I want to go beyond that and thank you for all the work that you and the many other people at Blue Cross Blue Shield do helping patients get access to great medical care. Thank you, Steve. My pleasure. Our discussion today with Barbara Morales from Blue Cross Blue Shield um, mirrors what we heard from Professor Hall last week on last week's show. Healthcare reform legislation has primarily been beneficial in bringing coverage to more Americans, but it isn't designed to help bring costs down. That's something that's going to have to come later. Certainly, there are things we could do now and take more responsibility, but the system and its incentives are not set up currently to address the cost aspect of health, the health care crisis in the United States. Undoubted additional changes will be coming to our health care system to address the cost issue, whether those involve people taking more personal responsibility for cost decisions or insurers or government entities taking more responsibility for controlling the costs and access to various treatments, well, that shoe has yet to drop. But now, today, uh, we have a system, primarily one in which insurers cover the cost of care. Insurance companies should be patient advocates. They are in the business of helping people get access for medical care. 
if one of those situations develop where an insurance cover company denies coverage for some aspect of care, um, take some personal responsibility. Check your contract. Does the contract call for the insurer to cover that item? Um, if it does, uh, uh, appeal to the insurer. You may even want to try to speak with the medical director or have your physician speak to the medical director. Sometimes there's some flexibility that isn't clear. One of the things you may have heard previously on this show is that we are a big proponent of patient advocacy groups. And if you're a member of a patient advocacy group or can become one, that advocacy group may be able to advocate on your behalf with the insurer. Finally, if, if those kinds of approaches don't work, you may even want to contact your state insurance commission. They may be of help at times. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Getting Better Healthcare on webtalkradio.net. Our theme music is by the wonderfully talented Michael Zioli. Until next time, have a healthy week. Thanks for listening to the show today. Remember to go to DrScore.com to get and give feedback about your doctor and to read others' recommendations about doctors in your area. It's a way to choose your path to healthcare empowerment. That's D-R-S-C-O-R-E.com, DrScore.com. And we'll see you next week right here on Getting Better Healthcare.